Whatever it is, they're evaluating us. I was not respectful to you. Well, now I know I'm not crazy. Do you want to know if you've been missed? You can't just do that. You know I'm not allowed to talk about what I hear in there. Mommy doesn't like to eat. This could be the end of the world and you could go to hell. I can't believe that's the way God is. I know something I think you should know. Certainly is an ambitious way of thinking about things. Because he loves this room and hearing his own voice and saving the day. If the world is still here on Monday, we can talk. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series, Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, and we gear our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and, well, this uh, little thing that's going on in Cuba right now, but we don't have to talk about it too specifically. I'm Johnny Groney, and uh, Will Ashton are... Are you concerned about your appearance? You've been blessed with a very resilient podcast. <laughs> hey, John. I'm excited. You're excited, and uh, we have somebody else here who's missed yeah. the last couple of weeks. And so, so Mike Overholse, uh, other than your podcast and a haircut, is there anything new I need to know about? I gave away your baby. I'm not perfect, <laughs> John. Oh, well, I guess that makes my love confession a little bit more awkward. But uh, guys, here's what's not awkward. We finished season two of Mad Men. We're two out of seven seasons completed. In fact, I was just thinking about this. We are about five or six episodes away from being halfway done with this podcast. How do you feel about that? That feels wrong. <laughs> well, there's seven seasons. And once we get to three and a half seasons, that's halfway, isn't it? Mm, no. Is my math wrong? I mean, that, that could be the case. Like, what? You're just wrong. It's wrong? Oh, okay. Well, I guess I can't argue with that. I mean, you know, dead that might logic be... There. That might be true, but I feel like we won't finish this podcast until 2026 at the rate we're going at this time. <laughs> oh, I, well, Will, I, you know, you're not much of a believer then, but that's okay. Um, we are finishing season two this week, Meditations in an Emergency. Uh, like last season, this is an episode directed by Matthew Weiner. He co-writes this time with Cater Gordon. You'll remember in The Wheel which was episode 13 of last season. He co-wrote that episode with Robin Bythe and uh, not this not this episode, Meditations in an Emergency. A lot of people call this the best episode of season two, but do you two agree with that? Before you give me your opinions, uh, we'll just say uh, real quick, uh, this episode covers a lot of stuff, uh, including you know Don Draper. He's back at uh, Sterling Cooper. There's the fallout of the Powell, Putnam, and Lode merger. Uh, Betty finds out that she's pregnant. And Petty, or Petty, Petty, Pete and Peggy, that's a weird combination of their names. Pete goes to Peggy about how he really feels. And uh, we also get the return of Colin Hanks. I didn't have the heart to mm. tell you, Will, that yeah. Colin Hanks was back in this episode, which I, I assumed would be a plus for you. Well, um, you, but okay. um, yeah. you you set me up to fail, I guess. Or not set me up to fail. You, you set my expectations wrong because mm -hmm. you said my favorite character would be coming mm -hmm. back in this episode. And I got all excited because I was like, Chauncey's back. And he's now the head of accounts <laughs> Chauncey. for the competition. I can't wait to see what he's up to. And of well, course, Duck isn't, uh, if Duck's not going to be president of Sterling Cooper. Well, well, that's what I was hoping for, you know, when they were having that meeting and the like Brits were out. like, you know, like, or like say, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like they, they, they excuse him after he has his little uh, tirade and they're like, 
Right. Obviously, we can't rely on Duck. He's he's too unstable. He can't hold his liquor. But I know exactly a man for the job. And we see like a close up on the, <laughs> the paws walking into the, the you know, <laughs> and we see the tail wagging like these like you know, and um, even though it wouldn't be time appropriate, you know, we have um, what's that song called? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, well, I guess this. we can do who let sing the dogs it, out. Sing it. No. Who let the dogs out? Huh. Yeah. Sure. That wasn't the song I was thinking of, but um, I was thinking of Gangsters in Paradise. Sure, if you said it, but um, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, they they leave that for the deleted scenes. Maybe they'll open season three with that. Will you can look forward to that? Uh, I'll start with you, Mike, because you haven't been around. Um, generally, how, how did you feel about the last part of this season? Really, like the last three episodes all put together. I really enjoy them. I mean, it's. Doing a weekly podcast like this, these last three episodes are really tough to watch individually. Yes. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't. I watched all three of them twice. You're uh, a simple man. You just gave in to your pleasures. You're a regular draper. I, what, what can I say? Uh, you were sitting at just, the bar and these episodes ordered you a gimlet and you were like, well, I guess I'll uh, you know, go over to this room yeah. and wait for the episodes to come meet you. I mean, I, well, yeah, we well, were... Trying to make it like the headcanon that you were in L.A. doing, you know, your own thing while we were struggling to do this podcast the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, we, you, we you landed know, the popsicle account, Mike. You're like you. Don with like a big paperwork, you know, piled up on his desk. You're just like, well, let's see what we got here. The you also earned crazy. half a million dollars, Mike, just yeah, by there being you go. gone the last couple of weeks. Oh, also, well, did- Atomic uh, Dog by George Clinton was a song I was thinking of before. Thanks, Will. Thank you. Will, did you ever think I left you with John because I thought you could handle it? <laughs> I love that line. Well, what do it's I say? Bullshit. Yeah. It's just, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> you know you rehearsed that shit on the plane. <laughs> right. And it's like Oh yeah, it's, Pete's gonna give also, you so much crap about this. Yeah. It's also not suave at all. You know, it's not like classic like Don Draper just like really smoothing over. But Pete just so desperately wanted oh, yeah. to get that validation. He was like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what happened. And like Don accidentally wins constantly in this episode, just like by pure dumb luck, honestly. Down to like the fact that like Betty takes him back because of just kind of dumb luck, honestly. Like the Cuban Missile Crisis is kind of what spurs it on, you could argue. Uh, he wrote a pretty good note. <laughs> I thought it was kind of weak, to be honest. I felt like she was reading that and was just like, all right, whatever. Like, is he going to keep, keep writing notes like this? Okay. Actually, what is your read on that, Mike? Do you, do, you think the, do you think the letter really did bring her back? No, not at all. I think I, I think her feeling like she um, got one over on Don is going to keep that secret. I mm-hmm. think the fact that she lied to Don when she said things have been easier without him, I don't think she actually wants to raise that baby alone. And... Uh, yeah, I think she just maybe pitied him in that moment when, like, the whole note's right. Like, you can move on and be fine. I'm not. I'll be alone. And I just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think any of it was her actually wanting Don. She doesn't even, she's not even happy when he comes and sits down on the couch. It's, she's just like, okay, mm-hmm. it's my mm-hmm. life. I feel like for her, it was just like the gesture. She just needed that gesture to like rationalize it. It wasn't like an emotional sort of like, oh, like she doesn't swoon for it you'll notice too, like the first season you have more of that emotion love that she has for him but yeah by this point it's just it's gone uh but but do you disagree uh will we haven't heard what you think of these episodes well we know what you think of the last two episodes but this right. episode well i was gonna ask you guys like you um like how seriously do you think she was contemplating getting the abortion i mean it seemed like at the beginning that she was like, pretty like at least fifty, at least yeah. 50 50 if not more yeah i don't know i mean like in that 
opening scene seemed like pretty like I'm doing this, you know, doctor be damned. And then, sure. you know, she had like an out to do it. Like, you know, obviously when she dropped the kids off, she knew the location of the, um, the abortion clinic or the, you know, uh, whatever it would be. Uh, and yeah, like she had a way to do it. And Don didn't know at that point. And, uh, you know, right. it, it probably wouldn't have gotten to him, but I, I do think it's interesting that rather than, um, you know, do that, she kind of wanted to live out this fantasy that Don's been living, uh, behind her back for so long, kind of have them switch roles where she gets with this guy who's like clearly like kind of like the Don Draper type, quote unquote, uh, you know, has like all like the things that she likes from Don before without any of the commitment or ties or the, the baggage that they now have in their relationship. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to be sure, but the answer to your question that you asked, um, I enjoyed it. I feel like I didn't like this episode as much as the, uh, season one finale, which I felt like maybe was a little bit stronger mm. with the carousel. And uh, it does end with Bob Dylan, which is kind of hard sure. to top too. Yeah. I and mean, I was excited, scene. you know, they finally, you know, lived up to that promise after you know teasing on the previous episode and not delivering but before uh, you go on well i do gotta ask real quick i mean do you is your read then that you think for her like having sex with somebody like a meaningless fling made her connect with like oh this is how don feels it's not that he actually like wants anyone else he just probably just did it and it didn't mean anything and do, do you think that's more like where her head's at yeah could, as a possibility i mean i think it's part of it to be sure and i don't even know if that's really the case with don like i think he does get something out of the affairs that we've seen him have on the show like and i think she got something out of that affair too but maybe it just was like you know like she had more like a crystallizing oh so this is why he does it because of the power or something i mean and i think that's kind of a false perception but i think that is in part like what she Mm. feels that he he gets out of it like it's like okay like he doesn't love someone else he's kind of likes to get his rocks off uh you know behind my back he you know it's interesting i don't know it's i mean you know this whole season she's just been so sad and so horny uh you know i mean <laughs> it was it was nice to her to, you know finally get some uh some action and i mean i know i think her and don had sex before when they were at their parents but uh you know meaningful sex even though it wasn't actually with meaning in a way but um, well i mean look we it has been verified it's canon that don draper is good at sex um, and he likes doing it. Sure, uh, yeah. He has a bit of a reputation. I wonder if for Betty, it was just like, man, he is pretty good at it. And so, I mean, I don't want to lose that that dick. And little sure. does she know that like that has two meanings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Anyway, Will, you were talking about uh, your overall thoughts in the episode, and I cut you off very rudely. Uh, yeah. I mansplained you, so I apologize. Sure. Sort of speculating on uh, how big Don's dick is and all that. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. some things take precedent, yeah. Sure, yeah. What do you think? That'll oh, uh, I forgot. You haven't seen season four. That'll be oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That that'll, that'll come in episode five, season twelve. <laughs> it comes in multiple episodes, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the same time, yeah. I hope it's um, like a throwaway line, like Roger's just like Don. I know you are a five point four man, and you know it just kind of casually comes out, and I'm like, oh okay, and then someone updates the the Mad Men wiki. It, you know, it's like, like oh, I didn't know measuring tape, you know, existed <laughs> in 1960. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love this episode because like, I, I think like this episode has so much more drive and energy and purpose compared to the last one. Just like the whole, the whole sequence of like Don coming back to Sterling Cooper and like that return and how everybody reacts to him being back. Pete kind of coming into his office. Like we talked about how everyone has like their own sort of uh, really like, 
correspondence or like rapport with him. I love, 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 like Peggy getting to like show off the office to him. It's so great. And like his reaction, like you'll notice that he's the only one who really notices her hair. Like that's a haircut because right. Like everybody else was just sort of like, like Paul and Pete were like, uh, what's something's different about you. Like what? And you just see like Don sees her. Like he knows her well enough to be like, Oh yeah, you changed your hair, which does is kind of ridiculous. Like who wouldn't have noticed that she's had the same hairstyle in like the show for years. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, that, that pride you can see on his face for his protege is, uh, definitely, definitely a highlight of this episode for me. I, I have to agree with, with Will though. I do generally enjoy season one finale more than I enjoy season two. I just find that season one on its own is just, was so good. And I could watch season one as its own thing forever and ever. Season two, I know you talked about John in the beginning, just feeling of like it's a little bit slower. It's not your favorite season. Um, but what this does is like this catalyst for what the rest of the show is. And so I I do enjoy that here at the end of season two because I know what's coming. It's like the, this is like the the big bang for what the rest of Mad Men is, right? It's a, it's a transition season. It's like because we we talked about it last season, like when we finished that the first season, Weiner had a lot of time to really figure out what he wanted to do. He made it purposely standalone. And so season two kind of was a different version of season one. It was a, a new season one in some ways. They were experimenting with, okay, what else can this show be? What can we take that was worked really well in season one and then add to that? So in this season, you have a lot of like swings, which I think a lot of people respect this season for that. They, they like how far it goes in some ways, like the jet set being a notable example. But yeah, you can kind of see the clumsiness a little bit the sort of like stumbling around in the dark you know before they really find the light switch Mm -hmm. that i think in my opinion is going to turn on for season three and then on but uh for sure i i think that this episode i compare it more readily to nixon versus kennedy because like that episode the background of everything happening is the political stuff with the cuban missile crisis and i don't love the cuban missile crisis stuff in this episode honestly i think if anything the metaphor of it is too heavy-handed and it takes away from I think the drama, which is inherently interesting on its own, because, yeah, the whole thing is like there's this dark thing happening in the background. The world could end. You know, there's a line that I think um, you in particular, Will Ashton, should keep in mind as uh, somebody who's watching this for the first time, we think, um, that uh, this idea of like the end of the world that got brought up in last season and then it got brought up again in this episode it's just a little cue. I just hope those words resonate with you because it's uh, it's relevant for for the show. I mean, well, to answer your, the initial conversation point, I, I do think while I probably prefer season one, and my opinion could certainly change on this, um, I do admire the swings that that are taken in season two. I think I respect season two more than season one in that sense, but I do think I, I got more out of the first season than the second comparatively. But I do think, you know, every time we would sit down and talk about these episodes i think the conversation became richer because the show became deliberately messier more complex more you know mature uh more willing to kind of dive into the psyche of these characters in a way that felt more uh ambitious and uh you know not always looking for a clean easy resolve in a way that i feel like the first season could be a little pat at times um in some mm-hmm. of their their uh writing choices but i mean i will say that uh you know as far as the cuban missile crisis plot i mean i think it's good as far as like establishing that like 
Um, obviously, Dawn um, in the past two episodes had this sort of like kind of childlike mentality in the sense of like he had, was willing to kind of go into life anew in the way that he's used to and able to kind of like put life aside and divorce, divorce and become his like truest self in, in some respects like the truest equipment that would exist at this time. And I feel like the Cuban Missile Crisis allows everyone else to kind of um, have a similar mentality in the sense of like, they become a little bit more fight and flight. Like the world could end tomorrow. So like we see the truest versions of each of these characters in a lot of ways. To that point, you can see that like Don and Pete seem to be the calmest about it because they were the ones who watched that presentation two episodes ago. Right. Uh, Like they've had more time to sort of process the reality that, you know, the, the Sputnik Russian, this, the, the space race, all that stuff mm-hmm. has kind of come back. You know, it was more, it was prevalent, ready and prevalent in the fifties yeah. is also happening again now. And they're kind of a little bit more realistic and, yeah. you know, they're but, not they panicking. Seem, but they seem to kind of take the opposite approach. Whereas like Don is taking the time to kind of like find himself, fix himself, and then eventually rekindle his uh, family life and his yeah. personal life. He's being uh, rational. He's not just sort of being reactionary right. to the current events. Pete is like, dismantling his uh personal life in the pursuit of building his personal or his professional life i mean uh in a more present and active way right yeah, yeah. he wants a he wants a refresh he wants like a resurrection like he just wants to like toss trudy out and try something different yeah poor trudy oh yeah trudy doesn't deserve any of that um whatsoever uh okay um i i cool. wanted to bring this up because you know father gill Father Gill is back. Uh, he he has like one last pitch to Peggy, and yeah, I got I got to look at you, Mike, because I know Mike the classic big... <laughs> Catholic Mike, you're, guilt. You're a fan of Catholic guilt, uh, right, Mike? I, I know I'm asking you and not the person who's raised Catholic, but yeah, h- huge fan of it. Um, I think yeah, that's the great thing about religion. You always have that hell trump card, you know. You know what? What are you gonna do? You don't. You want to be a tortured for eternity? Because, like, I know neither of us were raised Catholic, Mike, but, I mean, we've been through that, right? Where we've been in that sort of, like, using current events to, like, scare you into, like, making religious change. Uh, it's kind of a real thing, huh? Uh, yeah, I think both of us can speak from our college experiences. Uh, and that that was a very prevalent thing in, in a lot of the courses I took and the, the kind of uh, religion that was taught there. And, you know, it's it's how can you just can't take a person seriously when like that's their uh, um, logic see i was just imagining this was like any course like like geometry and just like you know like put this together all that you know it doesn't matter you're gonna burn hell if you if, if you don't follow god's word but keep in that's mind that yeah, off, Will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but mike mike's alluding to the fact that we we did take courses at the same college that is a very religious fundamental evangelical college and it's, yeah that's actually not uh mm. fiction well, well but uh i just to have pivot to say <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> I've always thought it's kind of weird. Uh, This is kind of pivoting a little bit, but I think it's weird the way that Don phrases, the way he chooses to phrase his admission that he had an affair. He says, I I wasn't respectful to you. And that seems to work. And like, that seems to be enough for her because she's just like, well, you know, like there seems to be like a little bit of relief that flickers in her her eyes. But like, I feel like the, the episode or the show is trying to say like that's brave of him or something, but like I don't think so. Maybe that's my modern, you know, 
kind of looking at it, but I how is that brave? Like he, he, he's just being like a chicken. Like he, he won't actually like fess up, like, like he did this. And I don't get why that's why Betty well, isn't think- demanding more from him. Because the problem with having an affair in, like, I feel like, especially in those times when we talk about this a lot in season one, where it's all about perception of the family and keeping the family core strong. The problem with an affair isn't that you went and you did this. I feel like, honestly, maybe Betty could give a shit about the sex of it all. I think she just would care and would be more mad that, you know, what if people found out, you know, how embarrassing that would be for her. Um, he didn't take her into consideration in that regard. Like, so like that's, that is the problem with the affairs that he was being disrespectful to her. So then uh, do you think that's why the, the letter had enough of an effect because it was kind of leaning off of that? Like he's respecting her, like, you know, buttering her up essentially by being like, you'll be fine. You know, you'll find something I, great. I, I think the letter is like a check mark. Like, like you're trying to get your passport and you have to have your forms filled out and the and picture Betty, in like, the right form. Without format. emotion, like checks the thing, be like, yeah, enjoy this country that is my body. Yeah. Exactly. Like he did he he wrote it on hotel paper. Like he didn't even take I don't know. Like, Off a whim. If, yeah. Yeah. And um, I know he's a writer, and maybe to Betty, she was just like, Hell, he's writing something and for once sharing his gift with me. I think it's poorly written, personally. Oof. Um I guess I had you don't a, think so, Will? Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to criticize the letter. Uh, I am. Well, you can. That's your right. That's an obvious first draft if I ever read it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, I, I think for me, I, my read's a little bit different than yours, Mike, and maybe yours, John, in that, like, to me, I think even though Don's not being entirely forward, like he's sugarcoating it and all that, I think Betty is just relieved that he's actually being honest for once. And that, like, you know, even if he's not saying the thing, he's admitting that what she's been feeling is the truth. And, like, he's not trying to, like, gaslight her or, like, you know. Boyfriend of the year, he apologized. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, he did, like, the the, the simple thing, to be sure. But I think that's what Betty finds relief in. But as far as the letter and all that is concerned, I think it's less that she finds comfort in his words and more that, you know, similar to the couple scenes before where, the position has been switched, you know, like now Don's, you know, humbling himself. And he's like, you know, in the position where he's putting Betty in power. And obviously right. just before that, she was living out the Don fantasy with this, you know, would be Don type that, you know, she's she's living the life that he's been living behind her back for so long. And then you subsequently Don's the one that has to, you know, take care of the kids, be, you know, in the dark completely about this and all this stuff. And I think that's where she finds the satisfaction is that she can kind of like hold the trump card in that respect. The bar is so low, but I mean, I think you're right. You know, Mike, when you were saying like for the time, you know, this, this does like kind of speak more volumes than it would now. And that, and that is something I appreciate about how the show sort of uses that not to shock the people watching, but to kind of get you in the mind space of the people in the show, which I guess is where some of the criticism of the show comes from, where people are like, oh, you're, if you watch Mad Men, you might sort of like absorb some of like the values that it's not necessarily praising, but just sort of depicting and I, I think that in, in that case, I think people should just always watch things with uh, a careful and sharp mind. I mean, but, yeah, that's even going back to like the Sopranos thing where people thought like it yeah. was endorsing violence and mob culture and not critiquing it or analyzing it. 
which is, I always found, I found that so weird when I was coming across those takes because yeah, like, you know, in my context, like watching the whole show front to back, I was just like, this is such a like critique on like, you know, masculinity and, and how all that begets mob violence and all that. But anyway, uh, in, well, in terms of Mad Men, you know, I do want to just do you just to strengthen my argument. Do you remember when what Betty told Don when she found out the the neighbor husband was having an affair? Yeah. How could yeah. how could he do this to her? Right. It was they all about children. him doing yeah. it to her. Yeah. I guess I guess that's why like it, it can you can look at it as sort of like what is the thing that offends her the most? And I think like what you're saying, Mike, is like what offends her is like if people found out like the reputation. And I think that makes a lot of sense because like we've seen Betty sort of use that. I guess sometimes I wonder is like, is she is that like a shield kind of covering up an even deeper insecurity that she has? You know, like what is it about that reputation that losing that artifice that she has that like she's is scared of the most. And I think it has something to do with her mother. You know, this idea of like, you know, she feels like she's going to be an orphan and she's going to be alone. Like she's, and she's been really lonely. Like, isn't that what she kind of said to, to Glenn, you know, in the last season, she felt so alone because she, you know, I think that her fear of not having a family is just like, so like, and then that kind of speaks to how, Maybe she does feel like with Don not around, it hasn't been that different because she has her kids and she's been able to take care of them. She's been able to just take the paychecks and go with it. And, you know, she she doesn't really need Don necessarily. So it, it makes this this episode even more fascinating what she decides to do. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that just comes down to like she just finally has the power in the relationship in the way that she's never really had before. But also, I think I think there's some truth in the sense of like, you know, she still has her father weighing on her mind. The fact that she is, you know, like, even though she isn't fully an orphan yet, like her father is, you know, uh, riddled by this horrible disease. And she feels kind of orphanized because of that at this point. So there is that sense of like losing that stability and having an opportunity to have that again with Dawn, especially if she's going to be having another child. Um, I think there, there is some truth to that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have anything else on that. I think I feel like we covered it. So I want to talk about Pete, 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 Pete. Pete has a lot of stuff going on in this episode. And it, it's like the culmination of a lot of like Pete kind of going up to Peggy and, and trying to like talk to her and her kind of like brushing him off. Uh, what do we think about this scene where he kind of gets dressed down? I've always found his reaction to the whole thing really interesting because it's like, it looks like he's a, almost like a little bit vulnerable, like a little bit like I, I guess like you would expect maybe part of the scene to be him sort of like I have a child out there and that's sort of like really speaking to him in a very like confusing way, because this is also an episode about how Pete, you know, or sorry, not just Pete, but like a lot of the characters are sort of like reflecting on parental relationships in this case like Pete kind of choosing don over duck and feeling like don is more of like a father figure to him and obviously like duck realizing that chauncey is his father figure but he realized it too late right <laughs> i mean you know similar to uh you know pete in an indirect way he kind of lost that child you know in a way that he you know had control over but didn't really understand right. in that respect you know pete has lost his child that he just never really knew or knew he had. And he's say, similar with feeling that honestly, guilt. Honestly, yes. 
Exactly. And I think that that is one of the arcs in season two that I think is the strongest I mean, is Pete. I feel I like they put a lot of there, work into that. I know, but, but like, like the fact, like the way he loses his dad, the adoption stuff, the the courting of Peggy and the irony of that. I actually do think a lot of the Pete stuff this season is strong because I don't think they overdid it. But I don't know if you guys disagree. No, I think Pete is extremely interesting in, in this season, right? Because he's so unlikable in, in the first season. Um, and uh, in the second season, you just, you're, you know, what was it? I think you said it in our very first episode ever, John, that Pete Campbell is all of us. And that's just all they're doing. They've just continued to humanize Pete and give him these really interesting um, kind of emotional arcs. That, and it, like I, I, I found myself here at the end of season two, like much more invested in Pete. Uh, than I did at the end of season one. I wouldn't say I, I, I like him, but I definitely um, am much more interested in what happens. Yeah, it's like, I don't like the things Pete does, but I love his character. Like, And I, by character, I don't mean like moral character. <laughs> I mean just like who he is in this story. I just think he's fascinating. He's just such a fascinating person because he's like, he's the such a like typical example of somebody who kind of is like fake it till you make it, but in terms of being a decent person, you know, like he just has these moments of like being loyal, just randomly he does something really good. And I think characters like that are super interesting. He's not a hero. He's not an anti-hero. He's not even really a villain. He's just villainous. It, it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me. Um, but I know Mike, you or will, you have a lot of problems with Mike. I know you two don't get along with Mike with Pete. Jeez. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that kind of gets, what? I know I said Mike. I did, maybe yeah, it's the Freudian slip, you know. He just is because you and Will have been beefing, and you were secretly just trying to get that heat off of yourself, my friend. <laughs> Sorry, is, Will, I, I should I should do that on purpose because that would help me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it, I think that gets into um the stuff that uh, we I was talking about before, where it's like you know, even though I don't think the season overall is stronger than the first one, I do think seeing Pete's character become more complex and mature and be a little bit more, uh, you know, unclear, but also fascinating in that respect is what uh, drives the show. And it makes, you know, obviously that first season, I feel like he's a character that's designed to be like kind of taken down a peg and that, you know, like he's the one that kind of emboldens uh, Dawn and that, you know, the audience can kind of like love the hate in that respect. And yeah, now it's a little bit more interesting. And I think that's why the episode where Pete loses uh, his father is one of the strongest from the season. Ironically, it's one of the ones, I think maybe the only one from this uh, season I didn't get to talk about uh, on this podcast uh, when you guys talked about it. But um yeah, definitely. I think Pete is one of the strongest things in, about this uh, season, hopefully the show moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Matthew Weiner has even said that he thinks that Pete really grows up in this episode and that the reason that's why they put him in a black suit. Um, you see him at the end because it makes him look like older. It makes him look a little bit like he's really gone through a maturing process. And but- yeah, it's really to see that. He's also infantized here, I think. Like, I mean, you know, he's still kind of play acting as an adult. And then, well, like, it's he, like therapy, right? It's like reaching into your past and sort of like that can be infantile. Like, when you do ha- go through therapy, right? And mm-hmm. that can be a process to maturation or, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but it also allows like Peggy to kind of have the upper hand as well, where she like kind of pulls this card out and, you know, like Pete's still, I feel like, even though he is maturing in a lot of ways, I think he is still like, play acting as an adult and this is that moment where he kind of gets taken down a peg and unknowingly may uh, not even have the standing that he thinks he has as far as like his future position in this company if things are not looking great for duck 
in the position that he just got. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as you said, that Don just kind of gets by with dumb luck in this episode. I do feel like Pete gets the exact opposite treatment. Um, I also kind of was thinking about um, Weiner's use of the rifle in this episode uh, and these little yeah, shots. Right. Because I, I feel like the, the, the rifle, right, if you remember when he brings it to the office, just represents this like fragile masculinity that Pete has, right? Of the when he's really leaning into like the fakeness of of the of his character, um, and you see him in that scene with with Betty, uh, with Betty, excuse me, Peggy. I do that every time. It's uh, I did it it's with Pete frame. earlier. I called him Petty. <laughs> Petty. Well, Pete is Petty. Yeah, but it's 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 in the frame, but it's off to the side, right? It's like he he's he's trying to put it aside. And he's trying to move on. He wants to be with Peggy. But then I really love the shot, the ending shot of him sitting in the dark office contemplating, still holding it. Like, which like which way am I going to go? Like, what what is going to happen here if there even is an office on Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I and mean, to that note that it, it kind of hits to this episode was coming out in 2008 during the the economic collapse, you know, the financial crisis. And like people watching it in 2008 probably were feeling that extra, you know. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into um you know i I think this episode can stay relatable and i like the q missile metaphor because like i think that's something that was either unintentionally or deliberately in mind as far as like a parallel but also we can kind of use that as like um you know like i feel like with millennials and certainly with like alpha generation alpha and with um uh gen z i feel like there is this kind of sense that like with global warming you know making the future is so uncertain. There is this kind of emboldened sense of like, I think that is leading to younger generations feeling a little bit more willing to be, you know, maybe selfish or maybe a little bit more kind of like uh, assertive in a way that maybe future generations are because like, well, we don't know if they're going to like uh, be a tomorrow in that way. Like we don't know like what's going to happen. So I think that that is going to bleed into the future in some interesting ways and kind of makes this episode in that respect, maybe a little bit more relatable, but yeah, I mean, as far as like last week we were talking about, you know, we didn't really know where things are with Don. Like we know he's not going to commit suicide, but like the, those final shots of him in the water kind of baptizing himself also has an undercurrent of like a suicidal edge where it's like, you know, he dips his head underwater and he stays underwater for a little longer than comfortable. And it's like, okay, like, you know, he is in a way kind of like committing uh, like sui- uh, like a social suicide. So it's like he's abandoning his job his family, his kids, and maybe even his social standing by, you know, going to California and, and staying there for an undetermined amount of time. Which happened a lot back then. Uh, Matthew yeah. Weiner has also said that like, it happens like today, like people in creative work just sort of disappear. Yeah. And no one knows where they are. But I mean, throughout these last few episodes, Pete's also been kind of doing a similar thing where he's kind of committing like a personal suicide in the sense of like, he is kind of wrecking his home life. He's damaging his marriage and he's, you know, kind of allowing himself to, you know, uh, make things uh, harder and more uh, uh, difficult for himself moving forward. And also in a sense that like now his like job standing is less clear. He is kind of committing uh, like a a personal sort of suicide in that respect. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think that kind of bleeds into that final kind of haunting image there. Do you think that Peggy is tempted to get with Pete or do you think that like it's not even a doesn't even cross her mind. I think not in that moment because she could never be with Pete knowing about the baby and she had to tell him about it and she had to leave him with that information. And 
maybe there's a future there if there's still interest on Pete's side, but I don't think she could have ever, ever, ever done it uh, yeah. without talking about the baby. Same. It's just like, I think that for her, it's like way too late. And like, she is just not that person anymore. She's not the person who had a thing for Pete anymore. And like, I think this guy has just really gotten under her skin in the wrong ways since. And I just genuinely think she's just like, forget it. Like I, this guy broke her heart and she's just never going to go back there. Yep. Use goods. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it, 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 it's reinforced by her being like, oh, I could have had you. You know, she could have shamed him into being with her and she already made that decision. You know, I think that's like the point of it. She's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I could have. Yeah. Like, you know, this, I have been, I've had the power in this. I could have been the one to do this. It's kind of interesting how their rules are sort of like reversed in the same way that Betty and Don's rules are reversed in this episode when he's with the kids and she's at the bar. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And it also proves that she's really taken Don's words to heart when she visited or when he visited her in the hospital in that flashback we saw where he's like, you know, he's allowed herself to kind of let go of that and forget about it in some respects. Uh, and yeah, like we don't really know, like if she'll ever reconnect with that kid in any way. And she hasn't really seen the care. Cause it's like, you know, she let that part of her life go and it's easier than she thought maybe it would ever be. Why do you think Betty, after she sleeps with another guy, she's at the bar doing that stuff. Why do you think she, they then shoot her at home at the fridge eating a drumstick? I think it's role reversal. That's Don. How right? so? Yeah, you did it. You you answered correctly. I guess what that do I win? Of, you win my respect. It's been a nice. while. No, I yeah, she's it. being done. She's just like, so this is what it's like. She's like, it, it's Betty. We, we know that she likes to play house. She likes to set up artifices. You know, uh, she just wants to be in his shoes. And she's like, this is what he would do. He would go to the bar, do that stuff, sleep with a handsome man. Um, and she's like, wait a minute. Eh, yeah, sure. She, she slept with some handsome man. And then uh, goes to the fridge and then eats her wife's food. And, you know, Will's kind of grinning a little bit. What's, go- what's going on in that head of yours, Will Ashen? I mean, I just think it's, like, kind of funny because it's, like, in her mind, it, it, that is true. Like, that is, like, what Don is. But also, like, she knows a little about Don. That's, like, the idea of, like, yeah, and he would just eat a piece of chicken <laughs> in the middle of the yeah. night without caring. And it's, like, you know, it's, it's like, kind of cute in a way. It's, like, you know, it's, like... Yeah, I mean, I guess, but I mean, that's also like not even like the most salacious thing he would do, you know. And but then her mind is just like, yeah, he's gonna eat chicken, as he's not gonna care about <laughs> how it's gonna mess up his figure. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Mike. I have I I've been really trying to find the right transition to talk about this, and I don't think there is one, so I'm just gonna bring it up. Sally Draper's uh, lisp when she asked for room service. Yeah. No, I've no, I trust me, I do not pay attention to Sally fucking Draper. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Fucking boo. No. Uh, wow. The worst line delivery in all of Mad Men happens in this episode. Oh, which one? <laughs> uh, when the bartender opens up the office and goes, what are you guys doing in here? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Because it, it is really awkward because it's like, you, you know, right? Like, you, you've been savvy the entire, like, this entire set of scenes. Uh, he's like, that man bought you a drink. I guess you know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is weird. Yeah, I was and curious. You know that that poor, yeah. 
the poor Ellie actor like told all of his friends and family like mom dad I did it I made it mad man (laughs) smooth sailing from here on forward I'm in the big leagues I'm with the big dogs you know where's Miami I'll collect it you know uh, in a matter of months and then yeah I I was curious about that too like why they didn't like do that again if that was just like Matthew Weiner's inexperience as a director or whatever like yeah it was just an odd choice to kind of leave you know, clearly a kind of wonky line delivery in that, or if it was just like, yeah, we don't have time to reshoot it. It's good enough, you know. They could have clearly like ADR'd that too. Like it's like, you know. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. I also think it's kind of weird. Maybe it was my TV. Did any of you notice the scene, at Peggy's last scene, where she does the Hail Mary? It's for, it's slowed down, yeah. Yes, it's slowed down. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird. It really threw me. I just like, Why? I think they just. I, I didn't even notice that. Oh, really? No, I definitely noticed that. Um, I think they just needed longer coverage than they got, so they just kind of slowed it down to like for that montage. And I guess like I don't know why they just didn't film more footage of her sleeping, or I don't know. It's weird. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of that ending uh, montage, uh, I thought it was interesting how it, it's sort of like. I remember the first time I watched this, I was wondering if it was going to end like the wheel, and we find out that it's not real that Don and Betty have reconciled, you know, like the whole thing where they're on the couch and because in the wheel, that kind of thing sort of happens. But then we find out, no, he's alone. So I thought it was interesting that no, you know, it's, uh, it's happening. This is, this is the end of season two. This is where we leave Don and Betty. I guess uh, they're going to be super happy from here on out. Everything's going to work out. Right. And that's clearly what I picked up. Cause I mean, yeah. it was, it was, you know, that is the American family mom, dad on the couch kids watching tv no political crisis is happening matthew weiner uh, has said that the last thing he wrote in the script was them holding hands and then everything else that happens after that they they were just doing on their own they just kept the cameras rolling and then that's what they got and that's about all i got i have I mean, guys uh was there anything else you read into the episode i mean we oh yeah there is duck we forgot to talk about duck more specifically i don't i'm not done yeah let's go over the whole takeover and because we also have you know the the four horsemen of the office also trying to figure out what's happening. They pull Lois in and she has a great line of getting out of the switchboard. Yeah. I thought all that was fine. I just was a little bit like, man, these guys are behind. I don't care. Go to the more interesting stuff. I want to see more Don and Roger, like Don's whole meeting with Roger. And he's just like, I'll stack up my absences against yours every day. Again, something else he probably rehearsed on the plane. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what did you want to bring up there? Uh, was, was there anything about the takeover that you thought was interesting? Because I'm ready to talk about the whole meeting with Duck. As, as somebody who has been a part of multiple companies that have been acquired, I thought it was just fully because I'm, I, I'm, I'm that guy. You know, you're, you're I the don't lowest. Know what's happening? You're the lowest. So people like drag you out of your closet, and they're just like, Mike, Mike, what's the scoop? See. See, like, well. you don't, I don't know if you actually know that about me, John. I am kind of known as a scuttlebutt around the office. <laughs> really? No <laughs> That's kidding. real. <laughs> Mike the Gossip, huh? Gossip Girl is your uh, nickname? Yeah, that's what they call me. Go piss, girl. But uh, I just think it's really fun. Of Not fun, but just like I, I just saw so much of myself in that. And first guessing wrong about what's happening, but being so sure about it. Of like, oh yeah, it's it's an LA office. It's oh, for Harry. sure an LA office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then being so condescending also to Lois, where he's like, Did they talk about combining? And she's like, Yeah, it's a merger. Which is kind of funny when like uh by the way, happy to see Lois still in the show, right? Will, I know you're a fan and you probably weren't sure if we'd be getting her back. Also, Will, yeah. is that a soprano shirt? 
It is, yeah, my Gabagool shirt. No wonder you mentioned Sopranos earlier. Okay. Gabagool. Gabagool. It's what's for dinner. Or no, wait, wait, sorry. Uh, that's what? my roommate shirt. It's Gabagool over here. Yeah, it's that, that scene in comic form. But yeah, uh, Lois, your friend, your ally. Yeah, I like Lois. It's been a while. I, when's the last time we saw her? Is it the, the first episode? Other no, season? she got fired by Don. Oh, which is not the first yeah, episode. that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was like the second or third one or something like that. Yeah, that poor. was the one where uh, the Uts episode with Jimmy Barrett uh, is introduced. Yeah, yeah, the benefactor, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it later in the season than I recalled. Um, but Still yeah, no, it's early. good to see her. I mean, I feel bad for her. You know, I don't know if she's ever going to get out of that switchboard again. But um, I, you know, I, I'm happy that she's happy and she has. Maybe the false hope or maybe the real hope. I have no idea. I don't know. Don't say anything like. <laughs> yeah. No, we're just going to be coy about it. Will. I did. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, there's I don't know if there's too much more to say about uh, Ken and Saul and the gang. Uh, but I did love that one Saul? shot. Who Saul? That one shot of, um, you know, them fixing the TV and, you know, like they turn like one, two, three, you know, like Saul pops his head up just as the Saul? other guys turn. Sal. 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 Sorry. It's not Salvatore. Sorry. It's Leviosa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking of Better Call Saul. And he likes women. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead, Will. I I I really like that shot where they're fixing the TV and they all pop their heads up. That was fun. It's a good line, too, of like, I hope the the Russians have you building their missiles. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So we do we do have the scene where Don uh, is in the office and, you know, I love this scene a lot where he just he doesn't even have to say anything, really. He's just sort of like, yeah, sure, you can do this if you want. I quit. But uh, see ya. And like, that's all he has to do, because like, I think um, I think Weiner has said it's like, oh, yeah, you expect that Don is going to do this big speech, but he just has to let Duck be Duck because he knows Duck so well. Uh, I, I don't know if he knows that Duck has been drinking, right? I mean, he has probably a hint because Roger mentions that Duck ran into the guy at a bar. Don's yeah. a little bit like Duck was in a bar. Right. And so like he might kind of realize like he might even like kind of size Duck up. And he has Pete to thank too because if it wasn't for Pete, he wouldn't have had the time to prepare for this situation. If he was caught off guard, who knows how this all would have gone down, right? Yeah, and I also love, uh, speaking of which, that, um, you know, Doc is like, oh, well, like, you, you didn't prepare me, but he, like, has this very, like, prepared speech that he gives and all that. I, th- I thought that was a fun Duck moment. Yeah. I think it's so interesting how, like, Duck in general, like, the way that he, he, he and we talked about this a few episodes ago, it's like <laughs> drinking gives him, like, more confidence. It yeah. it actually does help him. It's his and so, like. I, it's nuanced. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. And it's nuanced in how, like, sometimes when TV shows depict, like, alcoholism, they just sort of, like, really, like, overplay the downsides, but they don't really get into, like, what motivates people, like, why they do it, except for, like, usually we see it's like, oh, because it numbs pain, and, and that's usually the go-to. I like how this is that rare show where they're like, there is another aspect to it in this case. It's not really for Duck, like, numbing pain. It's that he, like, kind of, like, loses his filter, which helps him, you know, be a little bit more assertive. But obviously, like, he can't control it because the issue that he has with Don is not a rational one. He is, like, threatened by Don. He, like, 
has a personal issue with Don and it threatens, it gets in the way of his professional career. And so it's like history repeating itself with what clearly happened with Y&R and how uh, Duck lost his job or, you know, I guess quit or did whatever. It's kind of ambiguous, isn't it? We know that Duck is someone to lie quite a bit and uh, try to cover up the truth to make himself look better. Right. But I also think it makes him cockier. Like like previously when he started yeah, drinking again and arrogant. Right. Yeah. But like previously when he was um you know, starting to drink again, like he had like the lightsaber or lifesaver that he was he was like trying to be a little bit more coy about it. But now it just seems like he, you know, he door is wide open when Pete comes in, he's just, you know, drinking like, you know, nobody's business. I'm sorry they can even smell it on the guy now. You know, yeah. like he just yeah, he doesn't care. He's like, I'm gonna be the new president, so suck it. It makes you wonder. It's like without alcohol, he kind of sucks as a businessman. With alcohol, he's even worse. What does a guy like that do? Therapy? That's a start. Well, I have a friend who, I mean, this not to get too personal, but struggles with the same thing. What really helped him was he got a dog. Mm. Um, and it, it's just, uh, you know, that, that sense of responsibility for another thing, you know, taking care of it, making sure you don't let it loose into the streets of New York. Mm. Um, it just found it to be really helpful. Yeah, I'm glad your friend didn't do that because, you know, I mean, it it honestly is like also kind of indicative of his issues is that like he could have a sort of like something in his personal life to make himself feel better about his life. Chauncey was right there to kind of boost him to kind of be the thing that like now that his kids have kind of grown up and they don't care about him anymore. He had that dog. But when it came down to it, he made the choice that he just did not want that because he was too afraid of his past and so that's actually like i know mike you're just being a a goof and fun and and everybody loves you but also you made a really like you're like don you know you kind of made it like a really good point by accident well done i'm also a 5.4 man i think you (laughs) win this episode you beat will i mean in this episode's uh, analysis yeah i i will say uh in that regard i am disappointed that you know in that montage and i like this episode brought back a lot of the characters that we haven't seen before you know it's kind of a reunion in some respects but i really think they should have had that one shot where we see some random apartment and we don't really know who it is but we see a guy you know coming in with a big bag of groceries he walks into his apartment there's a baby there and a loving wife and you know it's like oh like i don't know who this is but i'm pretty sure this is the baby that you know peggy let go and it's nice to see that the baby's been adopted by a loving, caring family. Oh, what's this? They also have a little Labrador. Chauncey's a part of the family, I too. Cha- I thought you were going to say Chauncey was the dad. Oh, that would have been good, too. Well, we just I see him like from Chauncey behind. was the one with the yeah. groceries. Or, like, Chauncey was the one married to the yeah. man. And then- yeah, yeah, top dog, yeah. And then you slowly pan out, and they actually are across-the-hall neighbors from Peggy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. They're going to help Peggy with her next pitch. Um, uh, yeah, all I have like, left is trivia. Did uh, did you guys have anything though? I mean, I was gonna say, you know, yeah. like Peggy comes home, her neighbor's just like, "Oh, have you met the new guys?" Oh no, I haven't. Let's just say he's a little rough. And then you know, yeah, you hear you know barking. rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, has what? It, but they, you know, what the they renamed the dog mm. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go there you yeah. go i like that i like that a lot again wait, mike you're just killing it you're, you're gone for two weeks you come back and you're just mm-hmm. like you know again you're like don you're just like winning these meetings allow me to dethrone myself because even though i've seen this episode i think this is like my fifth or sixth time a part of me really wanted them to go with the x-men first class cuban missile crisis timeline mm. like just one line about yeah this 
random British guy stopped everything. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, this guy who controls metal, we think he's a Holocaust survivor, but we don't know for sure yet. Um, and all uh, new winner Jennifer Lawrence was there. I don't know. New head cannon that that did happen, and that was Chauncey. <laughs> Chauncey stopped the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you're you're overplaying the Chauncey bit a little bit. <laughs> um, let's Mike get into trivia. <laughs> Mike still likes it. That's good. Will's I, about to start a new podcast. It ain't Chauncey till it's Chauncey. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, let's get into trivia. Uh, uh, so one thing uh, Weiner has said about this episode is that I know I've said a lot of things he said about this episode, but um, the when we see Father Gill doing the church service, that's meant to be an emergency church service. So around this time, the newspapers would be like, when people were like really panicking about the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were going to church like in the middle of the week. So that's kind of why that happens and the way it happens. Uh, this episode won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series, and Elizabeth Moss was nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. And uh, the shot of Betty walking in front of the mannequins, uh, it's kind of like halfway through the episode, I think. That was the last scene they shot for the entire season, which I think is kind of astute. And uh, this one I find kind of interesting. So, so John Hamm's voiceover when he's reading the letter to Betty was recorded in a stairwell. It's kind of weird. It's like, why did they do it that way? Because like, I don't remember. Like, It does, I guess, kind of sound like the voiceover is, has a little bit of a reverb, but I just thought that was a weird touch. It's like, I don't understand exactly why, why they did that creatively. Well, Maybe it's like they like the effect. It makes it sound more distant, right? Does it? I think so. I mean, I don't I have know. to listen again. I don't know. I guess. I, I think maybe artistically it adds to the fact that Don could have done it a little bit better or could have been a little bit more. Um, See, I like that. Yeah, there you go, it. Mike. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of rough around the edges, a little bit like Chauncey. But in this case, it's like, yeah, he's Whoa, just kind of half assing hey, hey. it. Don't bring up Chauncey, John. That's not your thing, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, uh, I got to stay in my lane, right? Or else you guys are going to put me in the doghouse. Um, and then the last thing I had here, I, I didn't say the ratings. Uh, this episode had pretty high ratings. It was viewed by 1.75 million people in its initial airing. And uh, that's one of the highest for the season. So like, now that we're done with the season, we could say this is the third highest watch episode of the season. Do you guys remember the first and second, though? Curious if you can guess correctly. Um, is it is it uh, Golden? No. Is it Three Sundays? It is not three Sundays. Actually, that's like one of the, that's like the lowest. That's actually really? the lowest. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I, you know what it is? That's, that's, a little, that's my favorite episode of this uh, season. It's a great episode. It's one of my favorites, so I don't blame you. Uh, what, what's your guess, Will? He's looking on his phone. I think he's cheating. I'm looking up what all the episodes were. I'm pulling up IMDb. Oh, so you don't remember the names of the episodes? Yeah, I don't remember the names because I haven't watched these five or six times like you guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I'm, I'm gonna throw another guess of the fir- very first episode just since it's the premiere. There you go. Uh, yeah, that's the highest rated. Sorry, Will, you were too slow. I think it's You're gonna like, be a random one like the Golden Violin, or sorry, the Gold Violin. No, I Gold Violin is up there, but it's not. Um, it's actually the episode right after the Gold Violin. So number oh. two is a night to remember. Oh, and okay. I think we uh, talked about yeah. this when we were recording the episode. The reason was because the Emmys were going on uh, during this time for the first season. And so that started to like spark like renewed interest in the show uh, around that time. But uh, yeah, we uh, kind of carry. I'm kind of uh, looking forward when we talk about the third season because that's when the ratings really start to go up for the show across like on average. Like it starts to really pick up. I think by the time third season rolls around, like Secret's out. You know, Mad Men is here. Uh, are you guys excited for season three? I sure am. I'm like ready for like prime Mad Men content. 
like consistently yeah. great episodes. That's what I was say. I mean, from what you guys have been talking about, it sounds like that's really when it's fully in form. Uh, and, and it's not even that every episode is a banger necessarily. There's plenty of like episodes that happen where you're just like, oh yeah, it's not the best. But like, man, you get some just great episodes in season three, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I'm watching it completely fresh. Like I have, you know, whether you guys believe it or not, I have not seen <laughs> anything from season three. I've not watched an episode at a party. I haven't watched it in my youth. I didn't You've probably seen any- stills though from like see from like Twitter because you Yeah, sure, this like, is definitely the most me like season, fan. right? I think the most memed season is probably seasons like five and six. But uh that's just a guess. You're talking about mm-hmm. like all like the P Campbell fan cams and stuff that come onto my timeline and stuff. Yeah, you keep sharing stuff, and I'm just like, Will, you, you're playing with fire. Like, I'm not, you I have to watch. have been spoiled on so many things by now. I don't watch and read most of them. I just see Mad Men related. I just copy and paste them, and I just put them on your timeline. So uh, you claim. Yeah, it's the truth. All right, we'll be back next week to talk about Season 3, Episode 1, Out of Town, which... Uh, I don't I'm going to watch it uh, immediately, but uh, you don't have to. If you're listening to the show, you have some time. So for all of you listening, thank you so much for sticking with us for season two. I know it's been a, a tumultuous season trying to get through it uh, yeah. with all of our traveling and, and conflicts and everything. But we're making it through and I'm, I'm happy about that for sure. All so, of yeah. our traveling. Well, yeah, me and Mike. I'll stack my absence up against yours. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there it is. Well, not absences from the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> absences from the country. Sure. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you on the next one.